Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. We kick off today's show with some local sports news. Maximilian Mida, a kite surfer and a young Singaporean who's traveling around the world competing and training in pursuit of an Olympic gold medal. And I'm glad to have him on my show to talk about his adventure. Hi, Max. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I know you are calling from Europe. Which part of Europe are you at the moment? I am in Croatia. And what take, what took you to Croatia then? A training partner uh, of mine. He's a good friend as well of, of kitefoiling, the sport we're doing. And I'm training, him, training with him together here in Croatia. Nice one. All right. I just want to uh, quickly get this question out of the way. 2020 was a weird year for everyone, including you know high-performance athletes like yourself. How did you manage that whole lockdown and not being able to train? Or did you have a different, I suppose, opportunity to do something else? Well, I was very fortunate because in late February, I just finished an event in Mexico and went, uh, flew back to San Francisco on my way to Europe, and then I got stuck there. And uh, my aunt was there as well. So lucky, luckily, I wasn't stuck in America alone. But then I uh, was very fortunate that they allowed me to do recreational stuff. And so I said I, I would go out to train during the lockdown. And it was uh, it was a super good opportunity, actually. Yeah, lucky you. Yeah. I want to talk about how you actually got introduced to kite surfing. I believe you started at a very young age, and was that because your your dad got you into it? Yes, precisely. My dad got me into it at age uh, six. Although that was when I first hit my toes, I think I really only learned to how to kite at uh, at the age of eight. Mm. Is it easy to do it at the age of eight? Because it does seem like kind of extreme sports, and you got to really know what you're doing. And eight years old is that a bit too young to do kite surfing? Well. Kitesurfing is, I can't see it as an extreme sport, but I think it, it, it's looked at that way just because of how, how uh, when people go kiting. Uh, so, you know, with the strong winds and the strong mm. uh, waves and everything, that's a big problem. And so when I started kiting, everything was in lighter winds and I used uh, a certain type of kite. It's called a foil kite. And these allow young people with not much body weight to fly very small sizes in light winds. Mm. And so because I could use foil kites and uh, I started in lighter winds, it's, it's really a very... Nothing close to an extreme sport, but um, it's just more technique and and all that. So it's it's mm. very very possible for um, any person under the age of ten anywhere in the world to to learn um, kiting, kitesurfing. Right now, you're traveling the world. You you're training in different countries, preparing yourself for the big stage. At any point, did you decide that you know you might want to? pursue other sports or other things in life or was kite surfing always your number one priority well of course there's uh there's an academic pursuit uh always there i mean i'm always uh homeschooling a bit uh, wherever i go but um the thought had never crossed my mind to change to some other sport or to need to do something else it was i was always very 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 satisfied with just kite surfing kite foiling um and I don't think I, I would ever change, personally. 
why is kite surfing special to you? What, what does it give you? You know, kite foiling, this this mm. uh, sport I'm doing, is is very special in the fact that it's niche. And when you get up onto the board and out, out of the water with the foil, I, I don't think there's there's anything like it any you know any other sport. It's just this um, feeling of floating but being in full control all the time. It's, it's something else. And of course, um, since I had started a long time ago, I think uh, I have a realistic chance at you know aiming to be among the people who are the fastest in it. So I think it's it's the it's the realistic chance of me you know uh, riding among the best and being able to ride among the best and uh, the this unique feeling of being on top of the board that that keeps me here. Yeah. Well, you've competed in different events around the world. And some of them are considered the best races in, in this sport, of course. How, how does it feel being part of some huge kite foil events in the world at the young age of now 14, 15? Well, uh, it was definitely a very big, I, I'm going to say honor, because I, I, I don't know, the, the biggest kite foiling event I've been to um, had been the World Beach Games, and that was held in Doha, where... Only 20 men and 20 men and 20 women could uh, compete there, mm. and I I happened to manage to qualify for the 20 best people around the world, and so I managed to compete in that event in 2019. And like you said, you know, 20 men and women. Were you the only kid? <laughs> uh, yes, I think I was the only one under the age of uh, 19. I believe. Wow. Or actually, eighteen, yeah, yeah, and and how did you manage that? Because you're up against some of the best in the world; they're full grown adults, and and you're still a kid in many ways. Did you find that as a strength or a weakness? I tend to not look at it that way. I just see myself as a competitor and stay, standing on an equal field as 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 much as. Uh, this one rider is is um, heavier, or stronger, or differently, you know, or riding differently than the other. I'm just a bit lighter and weaker, and have to compensate for it with technique. That's that's I think the way I look. And I'm pretty sure that uh, you know, racing with the best in the world, you pick up a lot of stuff. Uh, is there anything besides the technical aspect of the game that you actually pick up from these people? Well, right now, kite foiling is, I don't know. Uh, especially for me, they don't, they don't really uh, communicate with me that much. Anything other than than kiting, and I, I, what I learned for myself in kite foiling was more things that I had to discover, and no one, no one hinted me, or determination, all those things, good things in life, but I, I had to discover them for myself. Excellent. Well, I tell you what, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. I'm back on the show with Max Meder, kite foiler, just 14 years old and pursuing 
his dream of being an Olympic champion someday. Max, just before the break, we we're talking about how you started and where you are at the moment. Let's talk about what you're doing at the moment. Are you looking forward to a major event? Are you training for something? I'm training to... Well, I don't think I, I, I really train for events in particular, but I, I mostly train to have fun because... That's that's what I believe. You know, the 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 passion uh, for for a sport is really good. If you don't love it, you you can only go so far with with um with pushing yourself. I think so. I just train because I love to love to ride on the water. You know, when when you look at someone like you, you're just 14 and you've been traveling to dis- different parts of the world. Are all your travels on your own, or do you have one of your parents with you? I had started traveling on my own at the age of 13, I believe. I had a few trips alone when I was 12, but yeah, at the age of 13, I started traveling uh, alone around the world. And it really helps that at a, from a young age, my parents were flying a lot to different countries and and going to different places and so you say you could say the airport is an airport is like my second home <laughs> <laughs> you know how do you cope with this because you're so young and you, you know you become so independent at a young age do you miss home do you miss your friends do you miss your family <laughs> well first of all it helps if you don't uh, have one home that you stay all all year round at and then go somewhere else for vacation i usually um swing around three different places it's it's uh my family in singapore from my mother's side and then we go to the family home in switzerland from my father's side and then um we have a family business in in indonesia and uh, that's a diving resort there so usually we swing around those three places and so you know home home is is really uh not even a fixed place. I, I guess that helps with, with the traveling. And about missing my family members, I talk to them almost re- almost daily when, I, when I'm out somewhere else. And uh, I can go about uh, one and a half months like this before I start uh, missing them. <laughs> you know, when we talk about kite foiling or kite surfing, you are now ranked as one of the top athletes in the world. How, how does that feel? How does that feel for you to... You know that you are at the top of the game and eventually someday you'll be a champion. It's a really, um, it's an awesome feeling to have this, how should I say, potential. Having potential is, and, and knowing that you can, you can achieve uh, something with this potential is a really good feeling, I believe. And it's something that I've only come to realize in the past few months that I look at myself and say, wow, I actually am getting, you know, to a point where my goal is in reach and I haven't been just riding and training for fun and and having uh, less results. It's actually happening. And I would say it's it's really exciting and and it motivates me even more to just have more fun and just keep training, you know. You know, most kids your age, 14, 15, They'd be even you know, playing uh, FIFA or Fortnite or, you know, hanging out with friends, eating candies and stuff like that. How do you stay motivated and stay the course? Because, you know, obviously you sound like a very driven young man. 
How do you stay motivated? How do you stay focused? Well, I'm not going, I am going to admit that uh, I do game and I do hang out with, uh, <laughs> with people online. And that's, that's just, uh, I guess, not unavoidable, but highly common. But it's, it's the balance you do these, these things with. It's how much time you spend uh, doing each thing with. And it really helps that I, I love, I really love kite foiling. And so throughout the day, my day would probably look like, you know, uh, I would, I would, if you look at the time distribution, you'd see uh, mostly uh, studying, kiting and gaming, and then probably some, some other things and, and, uh, and then routine stuff, you know, but it's, it's all a balance of how you distribute your time throughout the day and how you balance the activities you do. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had your godfather, David Emery, on the show talking about, of course, kite surfing. And, you know, he was saying a lot of things about you and also talking about how there's a plan for you to be part of the Olympics in 2024 and that you might be actually a medal hopeful. What, what do you make of that? Is that a lot of pressure on you or are you enjoying the journey? You see, my, my father always tells me that medals are earned in training and they're collected at the competition. Mm. And I, I really like that philosophy. And it, it, in, um, during the events, I just say, I will, I will ride consistently and I will uh, execute my, my skills. And another thing my father tells me is that be 105% uh, or be 5% faster than everyone else and then slow down 4%. So, you know, you don't make mistakes, but you're still uh, like a percent faster than everyone else. And so that's also something that to, to look forward to, that you never feel like you're pushing yourself too hard during the competition so that you barely ever make a mistake. And so I think with these, with these um, I would say, thoughts or uh, with these sayings, I, I, yeah. yeah, with this philosophy, I say it would, it really removes any pressure that I, I had before, I think. Mm. You know what? Very well said. I think your father is a very wise man to give you that kind of advice. Well, looking forward, what are you really looking forward to in the sense that, you know, how does your next 12 months look like? Are you going to be participating in any competition or anything major you're going to be doing in the next 12 months? I have been out of Asia for over a year now. And I really, really, really want to go back to Asia and compare myself to the Asian riders. Uh, currently, Europe is, is leading in the kite foiling sport. And um, it looks like that's going to be very hard to change. But uh, me as, as I think one of the very little represent, representatives of Asia in, in the international circuit, I, I miss uh, an event in Asia. And I think there's going to be one uh, at the end of this year in Asia. That's one I'm really looking forward to. And then in July, there will be a, a event for under 19, yeah, mm -hmm. U19 
world championships. And so that's also one I'm really looking forward to, to see how the younger generation of the sport, um, you know, is, is comparing and, and, you know, to see my, just to see my competition and have fun, you know, that's mm. really exciting. Those are the events I'm looking forward to. I wish you the very best. Uh, you know, you look like a very independent, very matured young man. And uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on how you progress. And uh, I wish you the very best. Well, thank you very much. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. Joining me on the show today are Philip Go and Desko Kiel. And if you'd like to join us on the conversation, call us at 669-11938. All right. Uh, according to Desko Kiel, you cannot be a swimming expert. So stop picking on Joseph Schooling. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to move away from Joseph Schooling and turn our <laughs> attention to Aurelio Vidma, the head coach of the Lion City Sailors, a Thai media outlet called SMM Thai Online, Thai League Online, that is has suggested that the Lion City Sailors coach Aurelio Vidma has been linked to the Thai champions BG Patum, a club that Irfan Fandi actually plays for. Uh, and the current coach is the former Thai international Dusit Chalamson. He did an amazing job with the team to win the highly competitive Thai league. And uh, to be just going back in time a little bit, Vidma was actually the head coach of the same team when they were called Bangkok Glass in 2016. Uh, Des, I'll come to you on this one first. Is this going to be a big loss for the Sailors if it happens? Well, it, it, uh, it poses on a major question um, about where Singapore football stands in, in the ASEAN, um, you know, if there was a meritocracy of ASEAN leagues. And would, would um, Aurelio Vidmar be better staying at Lion City Sailors, where clearly there's something good going on? Or would he be better moving to the Thai League? Which league is, is the higher? And I've, I was fortunate enough to do a lot of commentary on the Thai League last year. And gosh, it's a good league, you know. It's a very, very high standard. There were um, obviously BG Patam United went nearly unbeaten throughout the season, uh, but they mm -hmm. were under immense pressure from Buram, from, uh, from uh, well, Bangkok United fell away. Mong Tong came through. There were so many good teams, six or seven, uh, who you'd think, hey, yeah, the, these are good teams. And he's a, a, a good coach, therefore, um, going to test himself in that really high-level competitive league. Or does he stay in Singapore with, with a project where the, there's, there's um, Lion City Sailors, there's Alborex, there's Haogang occasionally, although I still expect them to drop off, and, um, and, and uh, Tampanese Rovers. So it, it, it's a question, where does Singapore for stand? And um, if he goes, if, say he would be offered the job, and it'd be really tough on, the, on Dusit because he's just won the league. But if he was to be offered mm. the job and he goes, I think it would be an indictment on the, on the Singapore League. So it's a, it's a big question mark for me uh, whether Aurelio Vidmar would be happier at Lion City with a good project or to move to that, that clearly superior league at the moment. Mm, reading the report as well, Dusit Chalamson is going to be promoted upwards uh, to a club called uh, Raj Pracha, which I suppose they're linked to BG Patum as a technical director. So it's a bit of a step up at the same time. And, uh, you know, Phil, just looking at his stats, mind you, this might not really be 100% accurate. I've just picked, li uh, lifted it off the internet. Since uh, taking over at Home United and now the Lion City Sailors, he's been in charge of 144 games and has 62 wins, which is about a 43.06% win rate. Have you been convinced with uh, what he's done at first um, Home United and then the Lion City Sailors? 
well, I, I cast my mind back to last year when um when he had some personal issues and he actually couldn't go back to Australia and he chose to stay here and he's 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 chosen to stay through uh, stay with the team through thick as well as thin. Um, I I I am convinced to to quite a certain uh, to quite a high degree that he's he's committed to the Lion City Sailors. I'm I'm just not convinced that the players are doing their best right now. I mean, you know, I, I tune into the opening match of the season um, when the Sailors took on uh, Tampines Rovers. Ex- were really half expecting, you know, the Sailors to to run away with the match. Uh, to be honest with you, and 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 then, um, you know, seeing their, their defensive frailties, and then seeing right now uh, they've played six matches, won three, you know, drew two, lost one. Not. Not in well, in the top four, but not in the top two. We we only have an eight team league here in Singapore right now. Then that mm. that surprises me, you know. And it, I'm I'm asking myself whether he's he's sitting there thinking these players aren't working as hard as I am, or 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 you know, is there something not right going on here? And if an offer comes along from from a club that's playing in a 16 team league, and and we know that you know the matches there attracts you know a, a great few more fans to the stands um, when COVID is over, I'll be tempted. So, you know, it's, mm. it's in, in a sense, Lion City Sailors should absolutely be challenging for the title this year, um, given the kind of moves that they've made off-season to bring in all the players. And if they're not, then as a coach, I'll start getting questioned. And if I'm a smart coach, I'll start asking some questions too. So, I, I, I think I think... I think this is a story that 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 will have a conclusion eventually. Mm. Uh, Des, when when you look at uh, Vidmar, he's got some pedigree in the sense that uh, with Adelaide United, they took part in the Champions League, and BG Patum, by the virtue of being champions, will play in that competition. Is that why they're looking towards someone who has a that kind of pedigree? And uh, if you were Vidmar, which is a better option in in that sense? I want to put it, you on the spot here. It, it, yeah, it's 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 a great question. Uh, BG Patum United did really well, and I've I've been doing the AFC Champions League as well. It's now an expanded format, 40, 40 teams. I think we'll um, that's on one of your topics later on about how the the in a, in inverted commas lesser teams have, have have fared. BG Patum United look very very strong in the domestic league, and when they play in the AFC Champions League, they will be pitting themselves and thinking that. Uh, not just getting a point here and there is anything. I think in their group, they'll be saying, hey, we, we might be able to nick second spot here. We might be able to nick a place in the round of 16. That's, that's the difference between BG Patum United and our own representatives, Tampanese, when they go in. Um, uh, so th- there is a step up. And Tony Vidmar, Tony Vidmar, sorry, Aurelio Vidmar's got a, a great pedigree. Uh, as you say, there's, there's Adelaide. He was involved in the Aussie national setup as well for quite a while. Um, the Bangkok Glass Project was um, has been growing over the years. So him to come and uh, be so um, committed to Singapore was was, uh, was was great news for Singapore. It really was. A coach of mm. that caliber coming to Singapore was great. But if the mm. offer came, gosh, uh, you know, you'd look at BG Patam United and say, yeah, that's a project. I. I've got a chance of uh, getting into the round of 16 of the AFC Champions League with that club. Hmm. All right, we've got to go for a break. When we come back, we talk about the Asian Champions League.
Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. This is The Rant and joining me on the show are Desko Kill and Philip Go. Gentlemen, let's move on from uh, the previous topic of discussion to the AFC Champions League matches that happened in the past week. Uh, there have been some shocking results from match day one. Um, two that really stuck out was uh, Al Ryan from Qatar. They drew with Indian side FC Goa. Al Ryan is actually coached by former French international Laurent Blanc. Um, Des, you did the commentary for this one, didn't you? Yeah, I was uh, very lucky to, to be doing the commentary for this. And it was heroic defensive work from Goa. Um, the first uh, Indian team to play in the AFC Champions League group stages. And they, they held on for a goalless draw. In fact, uh, a little bit more than that. They, they, they deserved the goalless draw. But, and here's the big but for me, their, their reliance upon their foreign players was so, so important. So the quality of their 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 two centre-backs, who were one Spaniard and one uh, Australian, uh, a lad called uh, Jim Donerkey, a, Sp- a Spanish player in midfield, Edu Badia, and uh, another called uh, uh, George Ortiz playing on the left side. They were so important uh, to the success of Goa in stymieing Al Ryan, who uh, had chances, had maybe uh, three or four chances in the first 10 minutes, but were then just blocked off by... Uh, what's the modern term, a low block, basically a very, very defensive-minded uh, goer side who tried to occasionally hit on the break, but their sole intention was to get a, a goalless draw, I feel. So while it was heroic, it was um, two things really stuck out for me. Number one, it was that uh, Goa were there purely just to try to get a, a point or something out of this game. I can't see them getting another point in this whole competition. Uh, similarly, for Istiklal of uh, Tajikistan, they had a very similar uh, scenario where they got a, a goalless draw basically from not wanting to win. Uh, so it was very negative. But then it made me think about how Tampanese uh, would have to cope. And the reliance upon the foreign players from both Goa and Istiklal uh, was so, so important. Uh, the locals worked, worked like, like beavers. They were terrific, but they weren't central to, to the victory. Uh, sorry, to the, to the point that was gained. And then I looked at the, um, at the, the Tampanese team and I think, gosh, Bahaki and Madu are going to have to work so, so, so hard um, that uh, Tampanese are going to have their work cut out up against the likes of John Buck, up the likes of, of, of Osaka. And it has got me worried that Tampanese have been let down by the league because of the, 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 um, the, the insistence on playing under 23s because those kids will get swamped mm. at this level of AFC Champions League. So that, that's the point I'd, I'd like to bring up. Um, I'm not sure the league's rules are going to help Tampanese in the AFC Champions League. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Phil, are you a, a fan of the AFC Champions League to start with? To be honest with you, I kind of work out how it works. Uh, I've, I've, I've spent... <laughs> it, it, there's, there's, you know, as, as a sports reporter and, 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 and at times editor as well, there's just so much sports to cover. And I have to say... Um, Asian football is something that's really fallen off my radar. I, I'm I'm curious to the to the point that um um at least now now that Des has brought it up, how well India is doing because I'm getting the impression that India con- continues to improve through the years. And you know when you talk about to me about Tampanese Rovers going up against Korean um, opponents, all I can think of is a lopsided scoreline, and and that worries me. Um, so I that's that's Honestly, the full extent of my knowledge of how Asian football is, because I, I personally don't have much faith in how the AFC organizes things. So that's that's possibly why I kind of turn away from from that league 
or that competition when it happens. All right, let's not go down that rabbit hole because uh, there'll be no end to this. Uh, Des, let me come back to you on this, right? You know, you picked up the point between, um, you know, how the foreign players will make a difference. And obviously, you picked up uh, Madhu and uh, Bayaki. They got their work cut out for them in the Champions League. But I'm not sure if you actually watched the game last night. Tampines, uh, you know, they took on Geelang in the Eastern Derby in the game, finished 3-2 for Tampines. And you're right, the, there are some frailties within Tampines Rovers. Uh, but this sort of game is always very edgy, isn't it? I mean, when you, when you play a local side, probably they will line up very differently when they're playing the Asian Champions League. Yeah, um, and uh, that's partly my point. Uh, you can have an exciting domestic game. Of course you can, and it could be great fun. And I'm a big fan of that. I really am a, a huge fan. But, um, but if you're then going to have an ambition to uh, put your teams into the AFC Champions League and, and to try to compete at a similar level, to have those exciting uh, local games where you are putting, you've got to put an under-23 player on. There's limitations on the squads. Uh, the, 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 the foreign players, it's, it's a limited number of foreign players. And suddenly you're going into a, a three foreigners plus one AFC player at AFC Champions League. And you're mm. coming up against international players of real quality. Uh, coached by the likes of, you mentioned Lauren Blanc or, or maybe Ali at, um, at, at, um, uh, in, in the UAE, who's been in charge of the national teams. And you are literally, you are quadrupling the quality of the player that you're going to come up against. And that, that was my point in that I understand the league is trying to encourage young players coming through. We've had this discussion before. I understand that uh, obviously the economics in Singapore football mean that you can't go out and get a, a former uh, La Liga player or a former uh, Australia international player. But if you then want to try to compete at the very top level, I think you can expect one or two really, really difficult tasks. And it, it's, I mean, it's great for Tampanese, it's great for Singapore, but they're going in with one hand held behind their back because of the situation that they find themselves domestically. Uh, it, it, it's up to the league, mm. it's up to the teams, what is their priority? But I just think that it will be a dreadful look if Tampanese were to lose badly, if they were to lose badly in the AFC Champions League. I think it just would be a terrible look. All right, we got a caller on the line, Anthony. Uh, Anthony, are you there? Uh, hi, morning. Uh, hi, morning, Sassi. Hi, morning, Anthony. And and Tess. Uh, cause I'm a uh, I'm a Tamilese Rover fan. Yeah, previously, but I I wondering that uh the this competition, the AFC Champions League, is it held in in Tamilese hub or or some other or some other value? Because I'm thinking to go and watch the game yeah, yeah, between the Gamba, Osaka, and, and Demi's Rover. And I, and I would like to highlight the other things is that uh, why the FAS, uh, why the competition, the, the Premier League make a such move? Uh, only the players below 23 years old, uh, yeah, they can allow to play for the league. Uh, but, but now it mm. comes to the Asian competition. And now we are facing all the top teams, all the top, uh, all the giants in the Asia. And then we still, and and and, and our and our Premier League still insists to to only allow 23 or below 23 years old players, yeah, to play the, the competition. I, I think uh, we try to make my uh, we try to make our our Tamilese Rover even more difficult, 
yeah, to to even win a to even win a match or two, you see. So so I hope mm. uh, if possible, they maybe change their minds and allow uh older player, more experienced player, yeah, to play in this competition and stand a chance to at least to gain few more points. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We all know the outcomes that Tamilis Rover unlikely to qualify for the next round, but at least uh, a couple of points, a draw here or there, I think this is what we expect uh, as, as a Tamilis residents. I, I would okay. like that. I would like that to be okay. happen. Okay, thank you. Yeah, excellent. Excellent points, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, let's go for a quick break. When we come back, we discuss the points that Anthony just brought up. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. This is The Rant, and joining me on the show are Philip Go and Des Corkill. Um, just before the break, Caller Anthony calling in and to talk about a couple of things. First, he wanted to find out whether uh, the matches will be played at the uh, Tampanese Hub. And then secondly, why is this rule of the under-23 or under-21, under-23 rather, um, being implemented and not giving the teams playing in the regional competitions a chance? I'll come to you first, uh, Phil, on this. Um, or maybe let me go to Des first. Des, we know that the, the venue has not been confirmed yet by AFC. And you got some news about that, right? Uh, yeah, I think, um, so, t- to help Phil earlier on, there are 10 groups of four teams. Uh, so, there's 40 teams in the AFC Champions League knockout stages. The group winners all go through. There's five Eastern, five Western groups. The group winners all go through. And the best three runners-up from those two regions all go through as well. That's how you get to your round of 16. So, it's not that complicated, Phil. Uh, and But uh, <laughs> for the Singapore groups, for the, for the Eastern groups, um, Thailand are going to be hosting three of the groups. And I, I believe the FAS have applied to host the, the group involving uh, Tampanese against Jumbo Gamba and Sydney. But Kuala Lumpur is also, or Malaysia are also very interested in hosting uh, groups as well. So those final two groups, the venue in a centralized area has still yet to be decided. And those games take place in uh, June, July uh, of this year. They were meant to be taking place uh, next week originally, um, but they, they've been put mm. back to June, July. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the news. Hopefully we can get some Champions League, AFC Champions League into Singapore because it'd be great to see the likes of uh, Azaka and Sydney and, and, and John Buck. And great to see how Tampanese are able to cope with them. I'd love it. I'd, mm. I'd, I'd, I'd truly be delighted if Tampanese proved me wrong and made me eat my words and put up a as good performances as uh, Singapore Armed Forces did at the 27, 28, 29 seasons. But I just can't see it um, because the, the quality of the imports that the, the likes of Goa and Istiklal were able to put together um, is, is of a different calibre to what we are able to attract into Singapore. And that's not being critical of those uh, players in Singapore. It's just a financial fact. Mm. Um, Phil, picking up on the second point Anthony said about the, you know, obviously with the under-23 rule, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out, especially if you're going to help those teams playing in the international competitions. Obviously, people sitting in, in, in the offices making those decisions uh, never really thought about, you know, the teams that are going to be playing. This does really hamper, isn't it? I mean, you don't want a Tampanese, because of the rules, to go out there and get smashed by these big teams. Do you, do you really want me to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> you should. 
I, I, okay, go. I, we, we, <laughs> okay, all know, go. <laughs> we all know that the, the, the reason be, behind the decision, right? I mean, it's, it's the whole point about wanting to develop the younger players and letting the younger players have a chance. We also know the counter-arguments about how older players are being denied as well as the fact that you're, you're denying um, a lot of very good players um, a chance to play because of these very rigid rules. And we also see the situation where uh, our local boys, our younger boys are being played in the first half and then they're immediately taken off at halftime, regardless of how they've played in the first 45 minutes. It's all these things happening. And then, of course, you're right about the fact that the guys who made the decisions are sitting in the offices making the decisions. They don't really walk the ground. And I sometimes do wonder if they even watch or understand football at all. But that's how it is in Singapore right now, right? No, so you, you No, you my, want, my point you is that... Be... My, my point is, Phil, my point is, my point is, you can't you then think about you know, the teams that are playing and say, hey, you know what, because Tampines Rovers, because Geylang and uh, Lion City Sailors, these guys all be playing in the regional competitions, we've got to cut them some slack. We've got to help them out because for the overall development of Singapore football, uh, we don't want to get, uh, you know, these teams um, going into... You can't do that. Like I'm sorry, a, a Sassi. You're not Mike allowed Tyson. to do that. You're not allowed to do that, Sassi. Mm. You'll be unfair to all the other teams. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking as a really? devil's advocate, but that's exactly how it's, it's, it's working out, right? Because we, we're, always, we, we, mm. we, we're always trying our best not to, to, to put obstacles in our own way when it comes to, to football. I mean, it's, the whole evolution of our, of, our, of our Singapore Premier League from the S-League days has, has all been about trying to make, I don't know, trying to make the most of a product that is failing, and, and, and trying all kinds of, of tips and tricks and, and all kinds of things in the book to try and make it work without, without this sense of really asking ourselves whether, whether we've got a product that works on all levels. And, and, and don't even throw in the, the, the fact that the disparity between the standards of, of Southeast Asian leagues and then of, of the rest of Asia, that disparity, once you throw that disparity in, then we're going to end up with this situation of Des Cockhill fearing for the worst when Tampines Rovers step up against the likes of Gamba as well as the, the, the teams from South Korea. That already is a huge mm. you know, obstacle, a huge hurdle to overcome without us having to face with these problems of them not having the players to go out and, 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 and fight the battle. So I, I, I don't know. And, and, then, and then you look at the situation, look at the micro situation right now of Tampines not hitting a consistent, a consistent form as well in the local league. Some days they're really good. Some days they're not really that good. I mean, that, that, that win yesterday over Geylang is a huge morale booster. But you have to be asking yourself, why aren't they winning 3-0 instead of struggling to a 3-2 win? So, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's too many factors when it comes to discussing S-League. And then you try and push them into the AFC, which is a great achievement. The fact that we are, we are there participating anyway instead of being relegated to the to the second tier competitions which we mm. were for a whole number of years right but it is mm. what it is unfortunately uh, it is what it is yeah there's uh, anything more to add to this topic before we move on no i i just hope companies prove me wrong it'd be great if they did but i would um i i would not put your money on it sassy never mind mine <laughs> <laughs> not much of it left anyway but uh, gentlemen <laughs> you know what I came across a, a tweet from a fellow media colleague uh, last week and I thought he really had a good point and I wanted us to discuss this on the show if you've been watching the Singapore Premier League coverage uh, we only end up getting pre-match and post-match interviews with coaches 
Um, when you hear them talk as well, they all seem to be singing from the same hymn sheet because, uh, Des, you've been involved in live football production. How important is it that, you know, that segment um, really connects with the viewers in terms of uh, what, what can they really look forward to in terms of tactics, strategies and stuff like that? You know, what do you make of that? This has driven me insane in Southeast Asia for 21 years. I just, I, I despair, I bang my head against tables when I see the post-match um, uh, interviews and the, the pre and the post-match interviews. I bang my head against the tables when I listen to and hear some of the questions. And I tried to do something about it when I was on uh, the Malaysia broadcast scene in that we got ex-professional players to ask the questions. So we had to train the professional players and uh, there was a lad called Stanley Bernard who was terrific asking questions, but we asked football questions. And the football questions were about tactics and they, they were never, how do you feel? Or the, the classic one from mm. Bidmar. Did you think the team did well after an 8-0 victory? It, it gives you absolutely nothing. So the questions have got to lead. But then the answers themselves, because you can be thrown under the bus for any indiscretion. Steve Darby was a classic. Steve Darby was constantly getting fined. And I'm still in touch with Steve. Because anything, anytime he said remotely anything controversial, he'd be fined. Or he'd be, uh, he'd be censored. Um, and, and, and the whole point of sport is to get personalities going. Obviously, you can't badmouth uh, the FAS. Obviously, you can't badmouth um, or just offer abuse about referees. But if a referee is making a, a dreadful decision, it's a talking point. And the per teams most impacted, uh, people most impacted on it are the players. So let them talk. Without and, and it's up to them to use their discretion of going over the top. And if they go over the top, um, then, OK, let's get a sanction. But let them talk, for heaven's sake. Make sure the questions are good. Make sure the questions are, are relevant. Make sure the questions ask about the, the context of the game and the value of the game and the tactics of the game. And then the players themselves, they need to not just look down the camera and say, oh, it's a hard week. Oh, yes, we worked hard. Oh, yes, we listened to the coaches, <laughs> things, which is terrific. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let me use Safwan and Harris. So, so Harris and Safwan get lots of praise for how they deal with the press and they're fabulous. They look down the camera lens, they look good, they speak well, but I've yet to hear anything of value in terms of news or in terms of something new from any interview they've said officially. You take them off camera and they're talking to you about, oh yeah, we did this in training or we did that in training or we're trying to do such and such a thing, but you never get it on the camera. I, I, I've been banging my head. I've been trying actively to change the whole mentality of players, of coaches. It's not worked. Singapore's significantly better than the rest of the, the, the region. I've got to say, Singapore players speak mm -hmm. better, but it's, it's, it is part of the, as Phil called it, product. And the players have got to be very aware that it's part of the product. Then should the players and managers be trained on how to be entertaining and informative during these uh, interviews, Phil? I, I, <laughs> I, you know, when you ask that question, right, that's the immediate thought that comes into my mind, the fact that they need to be trained. But here's the problem. The fact that they're giving cookie-cutter questions is probably because they've been trained. They shouldn't be trained. Mm. They, they should go out and, and, and speak their own mind, right? I mean, they should have an opinion. They are playing the game. They should, they should be able to go out and tell us as it, as it is. Every time I meet an athlete, and I've done a lot of you know, media training and, and all that for athletes, advise athletes what to say. And I say to them, you're an interesting person. Just, just, just say what you feel, right? Say what you feel. 
don't worry about things. Not just don't go out there and mumble and 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 think. Not that every answer that you give is going to be absolutely scrutinized. But then, then again, I mean, if if your team wins eight nil, right, and you go out and the guy asks you, how do you think the team performed? What's what's the immediate answer that comes to your your mind? I mean, if I were the coach, I would have gone out and said, did you not watch the match? Exactly. You know, and, and and that was why. That, that, and that is why. Um, Wenger, our Wenger Darsal, and the the the, uh, the former team manager of Woodlands, always tells me, I bring so much value to 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 the to the league because I speak my mind. I'll, I'll say whatever I want, and the newspapers love it because they'll cover it. They'll make sensational headlines out of it, and that's how the product was interesting then. But then, if you have all these, you know, the, the the sword hanging over their necks every time they appear before a TV camera, and and mind you, half the time the TV crew just wants to get the interview over and done with so that they can. Punch in that 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 clip and say, "Look, we've satisfied the KPI for your production. You want us to do this, 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 plus the post-match interview. There, you've got your post-match interview. So they go out and they just ask the most banal questions ever, so 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 that they can fulfill their KPI. So we are not all working towards mm. a product. We are working to fulfill our own KPIs, so that we don't get fined, we don't get criticized, we don't get doing anything. So that's how the product is failing. Right." Let the guys right. go and do All right, and, and, say, and speak their minds. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Again, we come to the end of uh, the, the segment here. I wish we had more time. Thank you very much for your input, as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you. It's meant to be constructive. Apologies if anyone's offended. Well, that's all the time we have here on Sports Talk Saturday. Make sure you tune in to tomorrow's show as I former national footballer Samawira Basri in the hot seat. Till then, this is Arsasikuma signing off for CNA 938.